I really took some time to reflect on my role as a scientist doing research in the Arctic and like what do I bring and like I learned a lot about the the history of colonialism in Canada and how it affected communities there and how it still affects communities there and sometimes the the position I'm I'm in when I'm I'm coming in the Arctic and I'm I want to do science but it's also like those are the lives and the wildlife that people depends on it. Hello, my name is Alexandra Mayette, and I would say I'm a marine biologist focusing mainly on marine mammals. Welcome to episode 28 of Below the Tide. My name is Liz and I am your host. If you haven't listened to episode 27, I would definitely recommend going back and checking that one out. That one will give you a great introduction to Alexandra and all of her work that she does in the Canadian Arctic and a little bit of a background on beluga whales. If you have listened to episode 27 and you're joining us for episode 28, I really hope you enjoy this episode. I think it really sheds light on such an important part of science within Canada and actually within the world. If this is your first time listening to Blow the Tide, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Below the Tide is basically a podcast where I'm trying to make marine science more accessible, more easy to learn by bringing you straight to the source, straight to the marine science experts. I'm giving them a place where they can share their research, share some of their work, share some of their great stories in an easy to understand way. You can follow on social media at Below the Tide Pod for educational resources and updates about the podcast. So I hope you grab a coffee and enjoy this episode. Well, first of all, it's hard first to study marine mammals because, I mean, they spend most of their time underwater. So like when you're trying to observe them for a long time, it's like, well, do I get all in my scuba <laughs> scuba gear and like look at them for um, underwater or do I look at them on a boat or do I look at them like on a plane? Like, and you, you kind of have a limited, you know, capacity to observe and spend some time with them. And then you want to do like genetic or um, different studies and it's like hard to capture them. You can't really like, like keep them for a while and then release them again. Like they're so big animals. Um, so first of all, so that's one of the challenge with any marine mammal, I would say. And then you have the challenge of doing research in the Arctic, which is another challenge because the Arctic is very <laughs> difficult. Uh, the weather conditions are not always great. Um, I mean, like in the winter, it's covered by ice. So you can't really see anything. Um, I mean, if you're looking for belugas, um, but even just like the cost of going there, um, bringing equipments, like it's very expensive. So like, you know, you're taking like a two weeks field trip uh, there and it's costing like thousands and thousands of dollars. So you're like, okay, I'm not gonna go for like <laughs> uh, all summer or, or spend there, spend that much time um, up in there so that's the second challenge and then doing social behavior studies is also another challenge because um you think about like very well studied species like chimpanzees or i don't know elephants and it's like okay like 
you can sit down like in a forest looking at a population or groups of chimpanzee and like note for hours like whatever they're doing like who's interacting with who and like who's the mother of who and who's the brother you know you can do all those connections just by observing them and taking some genetic samples or um but then like with belugas or with any whales like you can't just sit there <laughs> and look at them like because then they like they go on the water or like um especially belugas are really hard to see if it's a female or a male like there's no strong differences in in the body um like characteristics to, to, to tell if it's a male or a female. You can tell by, if it's a very big whale, it's usually a male. And if it's uh, a whale that it's with a calf, then you can assume it's a female. But other than that, it's really hard. So that adds up another challenge. <laughs> did you go up to the Arctic to do some of your field work? I did. Um, yes, so I did the aerial survey that I, I was just talking about. Um, just before I started my master's. So that was summer of 2019. Um, so maybe just to explain an aerial survey, um, the main goal of an aerial survey is usually to count a population. So this population, the last time we counted or tried to estimate the population was back at like 1992. So we kind of needed like a new update <laughs> on the, the population. And as I said, it's so expensive to do like field work in the Arctic that you can't really do this like every year and keep track. So this year it happened that um, Fisheries and Ocean Canada was doing an aerial survey to update the population and um, my supervisor. So I was supervised by two amazing female researchers, um, Marianne Marcoux and Lisa Lozero, or both um, researchers at uh, Fisheries and Ocean Canada in Winnipeg. So um, they were kind of leading the survey. Um, and on the survey, basically what you do is you're on this plane um, and then you have observers. So you go out over the water and then the pilot rings the bell it's like, okay, we, we're starting the transect. So you're going to do a line over the ocean, like you're flying in a line from start to end. And then all this time, you're trying to look down and count how many whales you see. So from start to end, you're very focused. You try to count every whales um, that you see, sometimes belugas. We saw other times some bowhead whales, um, sometimes seals. They're kind of hard to to catch because they're they're small and then they're quick um and yes and then we had um, a little instrument called a geometer and it's basically like imagine looking into like like a camera you have like this little um piece you're looking into and there's a tiny like red dot and you you fix that red dot on the the well and then you click and then it takes the gps position so afterwards, you can kind of use the GPS location to see, is there a place that we saw more wells than others and, and do um, more studies uh, or more experiments on the distribution? So we did probably like 30 to 40 lines like this over almost like two to three weeks, uh, depending on the weather condition. So you can't always fly every day because you need 
kind of the perfect condition to fly. So you don't want too much wind because then you have too much waves over the water and then it's like white caps. And when you're looking at like white caps and you're trying to find belugas, everything kind of looks the same. (laughs) And you think you're going crazy. Um, So yeah, so high winds are not very uh, recommended. And then you also don't want to fly um higher than what the the cloud where the clouds are so you don't want to fly over uh clouds because you want to have a good clear view um and then you don't want to fly over areas that have too much sea ice because then you also like you're looking like for belugas through like white big flows of ice (laughs) and then everything is moving and yeah it's getting like kind of hard to, to, to focus on or to find your belugas. Um, so yeah, so this is um, usually like an aerial survey. Um, and then afterwards, the person who would try to estimate the population will like take all the, the, the counts and then do kind of a, a proportion. So we did, we flew that many kilometers over that area and then like we counted that many whales. So that means we we assume there's about this many um, across the whole summer range, let's say. Um, and another method that you can use um, is to use a camera. So you use a camera that takes pictures like right under uh, the plane. Um, and then you like, there's a whole setup and you can set the camera to take a picture like every three seconds, let's say. Um, and that way it's kind of a similar, uh, but then it's more like a, a post um, in or post process where you have to look at every photo <laughs> and then find belugas in the photo. And then you can count how many belugas you found in the photo and then how many, or what's the area of a photo representing in the real life and kind of do that same proportion. So the aerial survey that we did uh, in 2019, we had observers. So I was one of the observer, but we also had uh, the camera taking photo at the same time. So for my research project, my master, I use the GPS point, but I also use the aerial photos um, kind of to use, to look at two different things at least. from the, yeah, from this aerial uh, survey. Wow. And where, like, were you based somewhere that you were flying in and out of? Yeah, so uh, we were based in Inuvik. So Inuvik is one of the six Inuvialuit communities in the Inuvialuit settlement region. So this is uh, the area of Inuit from the Western Canadian Arctic. So uh, mostly in Northwest Territories. So we were based in Inuvik. Uh, we stayed in the community for uh, the, the duration of the survey, so almost three weeks. Um, and then we, we flew, um, we were based in Uluaktuk um, for a couple of days as well, because we were kind of doing another area even further up north. So um, to avoid, doing like too much flying in one spot and then have to refuel the plane. Um, we stayed in Ulaktak for a little bit. Um, and 
yeah, and those communities are just amazing. Um, if we had the day that we couldn't fly because of condition, then we would spend the day in the community and we did the different activities. Um, we did some school outreach, just talking about um, belugas in the school. Um, we participated just to like, or we went to like arts and crafts festival. And um, I went to see uh, a drum dance um, at one point. So yeah, no, it's, it's very cool to spend some time um, in communities like this and get to know a little bit the people there. Mm-hmm. Um, we also had um, on the survey, we had four local observers. So two people from Inuvik and two people from Huluaktak who helped us um, with just being an observer on the plane um, as well. So it was nice to like get to know those people too. And um, yeah, just experience life in the North <laughs> a little bit. I think that just going to the Arctic, it's kind of a once in a lifetime. Like I, I recognize that not everyone has the chance who has the opportunity to, to do this, this work. So just like appreciate that time and just like the landscape. I mean, like, like I was lucky to like see the Arctic from like a plane. There was this area um, we flew that was near Politak. So Politak is another community. Um, and they have like, like I'm like I'm telling you, it was like the water was like so clear, so blue, like it looked like the Caribbean. Like it was like so beautiful. And then you had like kind of ice all over the water as well. So it was like this strange view of like, oh, we have like beautiful like turquoise water, and then you have like like ice of sea ice over it. Um, so yeah, so that was like, yeah, just so so cool to see from that perspective um i would say that experiencing like sometimes with the community so um yeah yeah getting to know like our our local observers um we shared a lot of meal together and i got to experience a lot of unique food i would say (laughs) on like traditional food from the arctic and from um inuvialuit traditional food um so I did uh, I tried some caribou stew muskok and the maybe the the most unique maybe that not everyone has the chance to see to try it is beluga um so um uh, belugas are harvested in Inuvialuit communities as traditional and sustainable food um for all the communities. And um, they they like to eat kind of the part where it's the skin and part of the blubber. Um, so I tried that, um, boiled and raw. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, it was it was just like very cool to try and cool to be part in. And people were very excited to share um, with us. So that's always fun to, to be part of. Mm -hmm. That must be so interesting to be in a place where you are researching a species and you are like kind of like watching them, observing them, and then to also be within a community that has them as a part of their traditional food. Yeah, no, that's something very um, interesting, I think, with working in the Arctic and very particular. And I think I learned 
a lot from from this experience because like working in the arctic you're working with places or areas or wildlife that are very tightly connected with the people there and as a southerner researcher like you're only going there for a few weeks in a year and then you're coming back and you do all your analysis behind your your computer and um but the people they, they live there like that's their home that's their whole life um and i would say that like um it really i really took some time to reflect on my role as a scientist doing research in the arctic and like what do i bring and like i learned a lot about the the history of colonialism in canada and how it affected communities there and how it still affect communities there and sometimes the the position i'm i'm in when i'm i'm coming in the arctic and i'm i want to do science but it's also like those are the lives and the wildlife that people depends on it um so yeah so it's very um very interesting to to take some time and to learn a lot read a lot about the history of your um your study area read about the people that use the resources there um yeah so it's like yeah i'm doing research on belugas and then i'm working with people that will harvest belugas like in the summer and um but i you know like this this is part of their their um their culture this is part of their life and it's um like it's not my place to tell them <laughs> no or to tell them like oh you shouldn't do this or this um so yeah so it was very interesting and but people are very curious about like research and they want to know what you're doing and they want to be involved they want to be part of the the research they want to learn like what we do but also i think there's also this exchange of like those people have so much knowledge as well like they have the local knowledge of I mean, harvesting belugas, that means you're on the water looking for them, looking um, or like looking at them for hours and hours during the summer. So like they're doing the stuff that we can do, spending time with belugas and looking at them and looking at their behavior. So um, so I think there's this really um, important thing that I think we should try to do more where it's kind of bridging that knowledge where science and local and inviolate knowledge in that case and kind of bring that together and I think we can really benefit from from this um, just having those different perspectives um, yes science have very um, a lot of technical instruments and we can do you know genetics and very like complex spatial model <laughs> Um, but they are there on the land like all the time and they like they observe behaviors that we never would have known if we don't ask them. And, and so, so, yeah, I think that was a very cool experience and a, a really cool thing to learn and to try to embrace as much as possible. I mean, like I'm saying that I did my the, the aerial survey in 2019 and then pandemic started in in March so like I wasn't able to go back to the community um all the rest of my masters um because there was they had so many 
um, strong travel restriction at the time for Arctic communities. So, um, and at the same time, that was like an, like an occasion for them to like, well, okay, like all the Southern researcher can come. Well, like we can do and like, we can do it. Like you just ship us like some equipment and like, we've been helping you for, for years and years. Like, why can't we do it this time? So yeah, so that was very interesting to see some, some kind of capacity building in the communities um, during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and people wanting to continue on and kind of help out and, you know, they see the belugas. And I think that's a really interesting part about science that we often don't really talk about. We don't really think about. Um, yeah, kind of like you go to a region where there are people that live there all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, uh, one of my supervisor, Lisa Luzetto, so she has this amazing monitoring program in um, the Inuvialuit settlement region um, where she, she involves a lot of people from the different communities to help with, um, uh, she's really interesting in um, looking at beluga health. So make sure that whales are healthy and looking at the different contaminants that they might have um, um, inside them. Um, so there, there's this really cool program where when um, harvester land the well, they do kind of samples, they all packed it in like little Ziploc and then they can ship it to Winnipeg. Um, and then the people in Winnipeg kind of do the, the lab work, um, but it involves so many people on the land there. And, and that was kind of one of the things that happened during the pandemic. It was like, oh, we usually... Um, send people in the summer to help with that sampling and um, helping with, you know, just some logistics and stuff. And when we weren't able to do it, they they said, well, like, we've been doing it for years, like, we've been helping you. So like, we can do it. And it worked like, nothing like atrocious happened. <laughs> like, and, it all, and, and then I guess, like, you're able to use their like their data or their sightings in your own research yeah like I think you you know it's it's like you benefit from from them their them being there um they benefit like from you using some technology or instruments that are um you know complex maybe to understand like even I can't (laughs) do some genetics so, you know, it's very specific people that works on this. Um, and yeah, and I like one of the part of my master that kind of ended up being abandoned because of the pandemic was to go to the community and ask questions about social, be- uh, social behavior of belugas. Um, and I was really interested because like, because I, I said it's so hard to do social behavior studies um, when you're lot, not always looking at the species and constantly looking at interactions and stuff. So I wanted to ask communities what was their knowledge about beluga social behaviors and what kind of interaction they've seen. And, you know, without doing like any official interviews and just by talking with people, some people were saying like, well, like we think that there's a beluga leader like in a pod like there's always like a a male in front that seems to be like leading 
like the other pod behind and other um, areas, they were like, okay, well, we have this first group that are like just young males and they're scouting the area when uh, the ice is retreating. And then later on, you have groups of females and calves and that are coming later. So like, it's all those different things that like, I didn't see anything in scientific literature about this, but people were reporting this uh, to me just by in conversation and stuff. So yeah, it ended up, I couldn't do like the proper interview and and that knowledge bridging uh, for my project because I couldn't go back to the community. Um, but I think, yeah, I think it's something really important to, to consider when you do work in the Arctic. And, and even if it didn't do anything for my project, it actually led to another project that is now uh, my colleague is doing where they're like actually taking drones um, to the community and flying drones over um, belugas in the summer and just kind of looking at those social behavior interaction. And also hopefully she can do some interviews um, asking about some local knowledge and um, kind of innovative knowledge um, about the, the behavior that they see on the, the drone footage. So, so that will be interesting to, 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 um, to see the results of. That's so cool. I love the kind of intertwining of knowledge and even like the acknowledgement of, you know, there's people who are living there and they know probably a lot more or a lot of very different things than we mm-hmm. do as scientists. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, it's, it's, I think that, yeah, just doing this work um, and like having that reflection now, like that I'm, I'm not necessarily working in the Arctic anymore, but now I'm looking at the area where I'm more my new study area or my new study species. I'm like, okay, well, like who are the indigenous people that use those resources or that use the land or, you know, that are involved in, in, in maybe my research and, and how can I connect with them more? So I think it's a, it's a good practice for any researcher to ask those questions and, and just take the time to reflect on that. Thanks for listening to this episode of Below the Tide. Don't forget to follow and rate and review this episode and I will be seeing you next week.